Hey, I'm Laura from Berkeley. Hey, I'm Travis Pope from Kirksville, Missouri. I'm Zach from Chicago, Illinois. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, John Darnielle, is both a member of and pretty much all of the band The Mountain Goats. Uh, For 20 years now, he's been writing and recording intimate songs that are intimate in unusual ways for a singer-songwriter, often written in the third person, often taking the form as much of a, sh- of a short story as of a confessional. Um, his dozens of albums have earned him a rabid following. His latest record is called All Eternal's Deck. Let's hear a little bit of a song from that album. This is for Charles Bronson. Catch a lucky break Try to make it last Rig a blanket curtain up between The present and the past Play my lucky numbers For most of what they're worth Lie about my age right down to my last day on this earth Set your sights on good fortune Concentrate Pull back the hammer Try to hold the gun straight Hit the gym each night Stay cool and seldom speak Keep the heart of a champion Never let them see you're weak And whatever they say Parts that make you feel good Be grateful for the attention Set your sights on good fortune Concentrate John Darnielle, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Hey, thank you so much. So I know that you're from Southern California, and I know that you lived the first few years of your life in San Luis Obispo, but I I don't know where in Southern California you spent your childhood exactly. A little town called Claremont for the most part. Um, I was the, the journey was from uh, San Luis Obispo then for about a year or two in Milpitas, which is a little town that not a lot of people outside of the San Jose area have ever heard of. And then we moved to Claremont, and I stayed there from the time I was eight until I was, I don't even know. Uh, I, I left there when I was 18 to, to go to Portland, but I came back. Uh, so Claremont, not the Claremont that's next to San Diego, but the Claremont that's inland from L.A. This is the Claremont that is the namesake of the Claremont Colleges? Yes, I attended one of them. How did you start writing songs yourself? The simple answer is is that, because the one that relates to the Mountain Goats is like, I was writing poems and I started setting some to music. I mean, of course, like everybody else in high school, I tried to write songs, but they were just appalling, right? It's like I was just writing lyrics that went with the bands I was playing with, went to, uh, I would set to their music. But then my first band... Uh, started writing, uh, we, we had a process where, um, my first real band band where we were recording stuff, we had a process where my friend Mark would give me a title and then I would write down lyrics 
and I played bass in this band. And then I would write a bass line, and uh, and he would uh, play percussion, and we'd hit play, and we would usually keep the first take. Like I would be making up the melody on the fly. Uh, but when I started writing actual songs that I would call song songs, as opposed to those which are sort of a, a formal experiment kind of deal, uh, that was when I was living in Norwalk and I was writing poetry, and uh, and I thought some of it seemed sort of more appropriate to something a little more um, a little more direct than the uh, kind of rarefied atmosphere of the poetry reading, you know. So uh, so I started setting them to really simple chord progressions, and uh, and really enjoyed doing that because it's the only to me, the way you where poetry exists is in the air, not on the page. It's like you have to hear it, and so I came around to the idea that a song was actually a discrete construction, not a not a poem set to music, but its own thing, and started working on those. Here's a song from my guest John Darnielle's first Mountain Goats album, recorded in 1991. It's called "Going to Alaska." That song was a poem first. I was writing poems, and I had that poem, and I thought, but the language in this is pretty decent. This is a nice piece of writing. And then I had this new guitar, and I had a, a, a slide, a Hawaiian uh, a finger covering slide, and uh, and I tuned the guitar to a chord and uh, and worked on it. And I thought, but well, you know, kind of that sounds pretty cool, you know, and and uh, and you can hear the rhythms, the speech rhythms, in a way that you can't look at it on the page. So I mean, it's like I will, I'll. You know, I'm sure the performance is kind of rough. I haven't listened to to that in a long time, but but I do know all the words, and I think they're they're all right. You know? It seems rare to me in the world of singer songwriters um, and, and just people who think of themselves primarily as songwriters to to not be one of two things. One is to be um, intensely personal in the confessional sense, and the other is to be. Um, emotionally powerful, but, um, you know, generic in terms of specificities, you know, like, uh, the way that maybe like, uh, a Bruno Mars song is, is very deeply felt, but is about just sort of the idea of love or something like that, rather than something that feels very specific. Right. And it, it strikes me as unusual that many of your songs do not feel confessional, but they feel extremely specific. Hmm. I wonder if starting your songwriting career, writing based on titles that someone else suggested, led you down a path of not writing confessional song. And I wonder if, if when you were performing in coffee shops, you felt a pressure to, you know, write coffee shop songs. Well, I didn't really do a lot of time doing coffee shops. Um, I, I, 
And the thing is, one reason I think that I that I came to working with an acoustic guitar late is I grew up in California, and I really had an allergy to confessional singer-songwriter stuff because when I was growing up, every other dude had an acoustic guitar, and when they weren't uh, doing covers of, I don't know, songs off a of Dark Side of the Moon, they'd be playing stuff that was very confessional, and, and, I, and I, I liked Nick Cave and the Sisters of Mercy and Lou Reed and... Uh, and I, I really did not want to be uh, a confessional songwriter. That's a big part of the reason why I'm the Mountain Goats and not John Darnell, right? It's like to to go out there with an acoustic guitar under your own name is to sort of say, care about my feelings because I'm just sitting here telling you about them, right? And it's like to me that's not – I only want people to care about good stuff I make if it's good. I don't want them to really care about me personally at all, right, uh, unless the story I have to tell is compelling. I think that the – confessional singer-songwriter writes a song because he or she has something burning inside of them that they have to get out. And the um, kind of externalist pop hitmaker singer-songwriter writes a song because they they want to move people in some way. So I want to say that, that, that I don't think that's true at all before we go any further with that. Sure. That, that I, don't, I don't agree with that. Um, but but continue. Tell, tell, let's let, okay. Let's let's hold off on the other stuff that I was going to talk about. So, w- what do you think motivates um, songwriters in those modes to write? And and the question that I was getting at is is what motivates you to write? It, whether it's those things or something else. So I think I think I, I would not be comfortable characterizing any writing pursuit as obedient to any particular impetus, right? That I would say many confessional songwriters are writing out of formal curiosity or out of boredom, you know, uh, or out of nervous habit, you know. Um, I, I don't think – I think that the the line that confessionalism would like to sell you, right, I had a feeling and I had to share it, so uh, so here it is, right? Well, we know this is untrue because what does my – if I'm sad, what does my feeling actually sound like? Does it come in rhyming couplets? No, it does not, right? It comes in the form of a cry, a wordless cry, right? has some melody, but it's not very compelling. Sure. It doesn't have a structure, right? It doesn't have – you know, all your feelings are grunts and groans and cries and wails and moans, right? They're not, they're not words. If you put it in words, right, you're already – really roping it in and and framing it you know and so so a confessional songwriter might think that but they're not if they're directly expressing their feelings they're not writing songs when you're writing songs you are doing something else you know maybe you're talking to yourself about your feelings but i don't think it's actually self-expression any more than than the writer of you know uh than abba right who writes some of the most emotional songs you'll ever hear right i mean the strings on Dancing Queen, you know, you listen to that, just the, the chord changes, right? Accomplish so much emotionally. And people would say, oh, well, that's not a, that's not a direct expression of feeling. But I say, yes, it is. Um, feeling gets expressed in all kinds of ways, right? Um, and so I think the confessional songwriter kind of has a little parlor trick he does to convince you that his pursuit is less formal than anybody else's, but it's not, right? It's all, it's all formalism to some extent or another until you get into like free, free jazz, you know, or, or, or noise or something like that. Um, I mean, what, and the reason I say part of that is, yes, what motivates me? And it's kind of idle curiosity. It's sort of like I will have a feeling and it feels like, well, this is a sort of um, this mood, this urge to write, you know, not not to get anything out. You know, I don't when I'm feeling sad, I just indulge the feeling or I listen to other people's music. When I'm writing music, it's more 
it is a state of curiosity of like what is this what is this it's its own state of feeling, the desire to write, right? And then you start to write and you see where it's going. And it's very much like building sandcastles or something or making making a finger painting. You know, it's like you, you start to divine the shape, right? And you say, oh, it's it's taking this sort of shape, only it has more of an emotional tone than a sandcastle, right? It's like, oh, it's, it's going in this sad direction. Well, let me let me take what I know about sadness and, and put that in there. You know, it's more automatic than that, but it's less, uh, it, it's not, it, it, it's not, you know, just the just the cry of a suffering person. Hardly anybody, in my experience, ever writes directly from their suffering. You write about it afterwards, later, uh, you know. And the same is true with with joy or whatever else you're writing about. That you you are recollecting it in tranquility. In Wordsworth's phrase, do you have to do something? First of all, congratulations on uh, that Wordsworth illusion. You've earned your <laughs> public you. radio merit badge. <laughs> I have to. I'd like to give credit to my professor Robert Mezzi, without whom I would be unable to quote Wordsworth. So. so, do you have to do something to get to the place where you can uh, find that, as you described it, automatic process of creating and refining a song? Um, no, I mean I used to. I think like all really young writers, you try and sort of come up with tricks that will do it. You know, you and I like you hear Theodore Rethke used to get ready for his poetry readings by doing calisthenics and stuff like that. I love this image, but for me, I mean, it's one thing I need to usually do is be distracted. You know, I think you can always hear when somebody was trying to write a song, and the whole deal with what I do is that it's supposed to sound natural and automatic like you are hearing me you know it's like or me with quotes around me right you're it, it, i want it to feel very direct i want it to feel like you know at some point a hand is going to reach out from the speaker and touch you on the chest right and so to do that i usually need to be distracted a lot of my early tapes were written literally while watching television uh, i was actually just listening to a tape from 2001 this morning uh and I narrate what's going on on the muted TV while I record. I, you know, I, I said there's a cub on base, and uh, uh, and Joe Girardi is. Or no, <laughs> no, I, the 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 Cubs were up, and it was like the bottom of the thirteenth in two thousand one, and Girardi was up, and uh, and I and I narrate all this, and then I go into the song, and it's like, so I don't remember writing that song, but I do know what happened. I was sitting there watching a Cubs game, and I had a guitar in my hand. And my conscious mind is distracted enough that ideas are bubbling up from somewhere, right? And for me, that's kind of vital that it's like what I'm accessing needs to be a little underneath the too intentional sort of place. You know, I think I think your my images anyway are at their best when I'm not working hard on them but letting them bubble up. And the way I do that is by keeping myself distracted. I want to play a song uh, you recorded a few years ago called The Best Ever Death Metal Band in Denton. This is a song that came up with a lot of folks when I was talking to them about your uh, your oeuvre. Um, pardon my use of oeuvre. 
Oh, I condone your use of oeuvre. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I unfortunately I didn't I didn't give it the flair that you gave it. Just no, now. I, I, and, and and I should also like to apologize because I believe it's oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> My French is the worst. There's, there's no language that I speak with with less grace than French. This is a really um, charming song about a type of music where the adjective charming doesn't seem like it would be the one that you would pick. Well, what I wonder is, I I know from reading your blog that you're a fan of such a broad variety of styles of music. And I wonder what you get from different kinds of music um, and, and whether you get something different from listening to death metal than you do from uh, listening to you know, uh, classical guitar or something like that. It is something different. It is something different. Um, I mean, I was thinking about that this morning. I was listening to King Diamond and, uh, and I don't have the sort of direct experience of feeling that I get listening to Prokofiev or something where you're sort of taking this music and, and, and asking yourself, what is the emotion, you know, with, with, with a lot of the metal I listen to, it's kind of like immersing oneself in a science fiction novel, right, or a fantasy novel. And it's no accident that so many old uh, metal covers are, you know, are images by Michael Whelan or the Brothers Hildebrandt, you know, these these fantasy artists. It's a it's it's sort of a way of closing your eyes and journeying to distant realms, you know. Uh, and then black metal, sort of really, and death metal, take that a, a step further and ask you to really imagine. A place, especially in death metal, where you know where the intervals are different, where we're not talking in these in these normal. We're not just playing a loud, fast version of rock and roll. We're doing something quite different in terms of scales and trying to evoke these different moods. All the death metal dudes are like serious shredders, really good musicians, sort of trying to craft this different space. But for me, it remains a kind of a visually motivated thing. There's a, there's a lot of, of visions that you sort of chase after listening to that stuff. More with John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats after a break. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radio International. Halls of the Stone Tower in the foothills. Why should we hide? Production of the Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. If you're interested in joining us at MaximumFun.org as an intern, you can find information on how to apply at MaximumFun.org slash internships. We're currently accepting applications for interns for the summer term. If you want more information on how you can become an intern at MaximumFun.org, just visit MaximumFun.org slash internships. MaximumFun.org is on the move, and we're headed to you, Midwest. Uh, You can catch The Sound of Young America live April 13th at the Second City in Chicago with special guests including Peter Sagal and, I'm not making this up, wrestler-slash-comedian Colt Cabana, as well as musician Robbie Folks and some great stand-up comics. Uh, You can also catch Jordan Jesse Go live in Ann Arbor on April 15th. Uh, Some talks from me and Jordan on April 16th, again in Ann Arbor, at the Ann Arbor District Library. Then we'll be back in Chicago for a Jordan Jesse Go live show on April 17th at the Second City with special guests, my brother, my brother, and me. So, I hope we'll see you, Midwest, in Chicago and Ann Arbor from April 13th to 17th. 
You can find all the information under live shows at our website, MaximumFun.org. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, John Darniel, is the uh, uh, front man and uh, the, the sole contiguous member of the band The Mountain Goats. His new record is All Eternal's Deck. Um, let's listen to a little bit of a song from the al- album. This is called Birth of Serpents. a little bit about how the way that you have created recordings has shaped your choices as a, as a songwriter and musician as someone who was very famous or, or well known for recording, um, you know, hastily and releasing albums on cassette tape earlier in your career and, and has worked extensively with uh, a friend of this program, John Vanderslice, who's, uh, who's about the most, has about the most, makes the most specific recording aesthetic choices you could possibly imagine. Um, tell me a little bit about the relationship between your, your songwriting and, you know, singing and performing and musicianship and the medium through which it's heard. I mean, the thing is, my writing process is essentially unchanged. Right. Uh, it's uh, we record differently so we can capture the sound of us playing together. And because I enjoy taking the songs into that environment. But the actual process, I'm kind of more romantic than I care to admit about it. That, you know, that um, that I'm sitting there sort of having this this uh, in touch with the subconscious or mid conscious moment when I write and something comes out and I no longer write as as really quickly as I used to. It used to be I sit down, I'm going to write, it'll be done when I get up, period, right? And then I'd record it before I got up, and then that would be over, and that would be what you'd hear. Now all that happens is I sit down. Most of the time I still finish it in that initial sitting, right? Um, But I record a demo, and I send it to Peter and John, and then later we meet in a studio and do it. But the writing process is essentially unchanged. The issue now is like that the way that when I play demos, I'm usually trying to be a whole band, you know? And so then when we meet to work it out i you know i, I learn what my part actually is because my part is not to be the percussion and the bass and the guitar it's just the guitar right prince in like the mid 80s was writing and recording so many songs that he couldn't release them all despite the fact that he was essentially recording as as five different acts like tell me you're gonna play uh, smogs prince alone in the studio at the end of this uh, bit Okay, fine. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you know, you know that song? I've never heard it before. Totally incredible song. So. Okay, well, I promise we will. 
Yeah. Um, so he a- at one point was creating acts to so that he could put out these songs that he was writing. Um, you know, he was he was you know Vanity Six and and Apollonia and instrumental the family and the time Jesse Johnson and, and the time which he sort of transformed from a pretty legitimate band that wrote its own songs to just Prince Prince playing all the instruments and then having Morris Day come in and re retract the lead vocal. Yeah, I love the Vanity Six album. I, it's it's very strange that you should bring this up because there's a song that did not make. Uh, all Eternals deck called for Denise Matthews, which is Vanity's actual name, and it's a song about her, her uh, uh, sort of tailspin that she went into toward the end of her pop life. I wonder how writing so much, how you look at this career where you've written and recorded so much, and if you ever imagine yourself as a different kind of artist, one who, you know slaves over refining 10 songs uh and tries to put out uh, a a perfect 10 song album rather than one who records a, a second album on cassette tape to release with his cd which you are doing this time around <laughs> well i mean that 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 that's just the demos but i mean to me it's like um uh no i am not i am not uh for for me music or rock music anyway has to have you know an immediacy to it. I am not uh, I'm not a, a big fan of of, of uh, you know super baroque stuff. Even though I listen to a lot of uh, metal and stuff, which is very considered careful music, but at the same time, it, it, it's about immediacy. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's like. Um, but it's funny you should mention Prince because his stuff is very considered and very careful. Right? He just is not afraid of working, of staying at work. You know, whereas like there's this weird image that came up somehow during the 70s i think of like you know of it being asking a lot of a songwriter to write 10 songs in a year right it really i mean let's imagine the worst case scenario of working five eight hour days to get a song right well then you should still be getting four or five songs a month right (laughs) so so i i don't Prince is very productive, but just by comparison to people who who I think are thinking too hard about the business end of like you know you can't exhaust people's attention, you can't uh, you have to work on a release cycle and put out twelve songs and then work those twelve songs for fourteen months and et cetera et cetera et cetera. And I've always strongly resisted that. I mean, at some point you sort of have to accept it to a smaller extent because it really is the case that that if you put out two records a year, then every time you do an interview. The first, second, third, and fourth question will be like, you release a lot of stuff. Do you release everything you write and so on and so forth? And uh, and it becomes difficult to, to say, well, no, look, I mean, I'm a writer, so it shouldn't be surprising that I write, you know. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I don't – and the way that I usually say this in shorter versions is it's not that I'm that productive. It's that other people are lazy, right? But I really do think that's true, that, you know, if all if you're a songwriter and you're only writing 12 songs a year – Maybe only twelve good ones, okay. But I mean, but it, there's this sort of governing myth of the songwriter that it's asking a lot of the songwriter to write songs. I don't think it is. I think I think if you are a songwriter, you should pride yourself on being productive. Have you ever considered combing the country for spectacularly beautiful multi-ethnic women uh, with whom you can place your songs and you can write and record it and then have them re-record the lead vocal? No, I, I have a, a resistance. <laughs> no, I have not. Um. 
Well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. Sure. John Darnielle is the uh, front man and uh, sometimes sole member of the Mountain Goats, although he does have a, a regular group of collaborators these days. Uh, his new record with the band is called All Eternals Deck. Per John's request, we're going to close out the segment with this song from Smog called Prince Alone in the Studio. The studio It's 2 a.m. And all the girls are That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided to us by Dan Wally. Our editor is Nick White, producer Julia Smith. Our intern is Lindsay Palmer, and our development director is Teresa Thorne. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can download all of our shows for free. If you have thoughts about the show, you can email me directly, personally, at jesse at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.